This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Julie Golden. I run operations at A-Day. And what I love about materials is how all the innovations recently have made it so easy for me to get dressed in the morning. Hello, my name is Amy Adair and I'm on the design and production team at A-Day. And what I love about materials is that all the future innovations that are coming through with recycling and all of that stuff, I'm really excited to see where it goes in the next 10 years. How do you reinvent your clothing staples? Coming up, we hear how one company develops intelligent fabrics for work, how 41 plastic bottles go into a new shirt, how you close the loop in your supply chain, and how a pet chicken named Kippy ended up in a photo shoot. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. With A-Day, when you focus on taking everyday clothing and repurposing it with your one-of-a-kind intelligent fabrics, how did that come about as being the focus and why has it been so wildly successful for you? Well, I think... um... So our kind of founding story is we were founded by Meg and Nina. Uh, We launched actually May 2015, so just about three years. And Meg and Nina both had very active lifestyles growing up. So Nina was a competitive gymnast. Meg has run a bunch of marathons and got her yoga instructor training. Um, And then when they entered the corporate world, they actually met when they were working at Goldman Sachs in London. They found there was this big disparity between the comfy clothes they were wearing for their active activities versus the really more restrictive clothing they were wearing every day at work, um, which kind of was the whole idea about bringing fabric that's sweat wicking and breathable and machine washable and bringing that fabric to everyday clothing. And I think um, there just is a big uh, hole in the market. And I think people love it because it's comfy, it's great for travel, um, and it's really just filling a void in the wardrobe. So tell me a little bit more what the fabric exactly does. What are some of those unique properties? So um, generally speaking, like they all are like sweat wicking, they're breathable, they're all stretchy. So like you're always comfortable because stretchy clothes are great. Um, <laughs> As I'm wearing mine today. <laughs> um, they're, a lot of our fabrics are wrinkle resistant. Um, they're all machine washable. So basically they're, they're fabrics that just make your life easier as opposed to having like a silk shirt that you have to dry clean and that's not stretchy and that creases. You have what we call our structured silks, which um, are usually a polyester and polyester or nylon based fabric with elastane in them. Um, And they look and they drape like silk, but they have all these amazing properties that just mean you're comfortable throughout the day and washing them and taking care of them is so much easier. Yeah, I was looking at the two-way stretch, and I know that's a very unique to uh, for comfort and getting things, um, uh, getting your clothing on in a remote and quick way and not thinking mm-hmm. about things. But I was just curious, how do you guys develop and design and decide what type of textiles you're working on in the, in, in the innovative 
way to make it comfortable for people or so a lot of the process is listening to what our customers want um with the stretch fabrics and the technical fabrics we started off by buying um from like stock fabrics from companies that from fabric vendors that we knew were really reliable and really conscious like um environmentally conscious um and we started there and then gradually as we've grown we've been able to develop our own fabrics um that we've um that drape really nicely like this one I'm wearing today is one we developed ourselves um with a com- with our fabric vendor in Taiwan um and it started off not being recycled and then we f- came across a company called Reprieve and we <laughs> switched out the polyester that we were originally using for an 100% recycled polyester so this fabric is now developed from something that's not recycled to something that is recycled So how did you go into the development aspect on the between the from the fiber or from the just looking at the materials and and, and so, just making Yeah, so decisions? um for us like it's all about feeling the fi- we, we don't have the um capacity to develop our own fibers. So we are seeking out fibers or fabrics that we feel are well, we feel feel great or that like have properties that we love or um are recycled or things like that so we're we don't have like an R&D team that are developing fibers because that's yeah. not I mean yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. like that would be like a massive goal for us and would be amazing but at the moment we're kind of outsourcing that and finding from like kind of a couple of stages into the fabric development Yeah, it makes complete sense and I I think when people think sometimes about sustainable fibers and innovative fibers there's this assumption in your head that it it's got like either a rougher coarser touch or it's more mm-hmm. limiting in the behaviors of what it can do and obviously as these new innovations like Reprieve come out it's quite the opposite actually exactly. they can do things that some of these traditional fibers can't do plus they have these additional benefits yeah. as you guys are designing and thinking about that collection and what your customers want uh what kind of behaviors or characteristics uh, do you look for to make sure is it the drape uh, in addition to the hand and feel that fit the A-day client the best and how do you think about that when you're thinking about the materials you pick I think you you said it there like um the aim is to get the best of both worlds um we're not going to use a fabric that is only um is sweat wicking and breathable but is horrible to wear or as as in like is itchy or isn't stretchy or um something like that we're always seeking fabrics that are feel beautiful to touch and drape beautifully but as well as having the performance characteristics that we're seeking what kind of construction goes into the typical a day design because i know some of what's so integral to it is the like you said making everyday kind of work life clothes work for people and seamless and easy you go to your closet you don't have to think it's all just comfortable and beautiful mm. and work appropriate yeah. so what are those kind of collections and pieces and the, the go-to materials you've been using lately so i mean at ethos is very much about like this idea of minimalism and things like that so a lot of what we're starting to do especially now is like focusing on using one fabric so like these two pieces are just in one fabric um because i think we think that it just makes life easier for the wearer like if you just 
have a piece that's easy to put on like julie was saying earlier like the fabric makes it so much more wearable because you don't have to think because you know it's going to be doing all these performance things you don't have to think about it when you're wearing it if that makes sense and i think something that kind of makes us different from a typical fashion company is that we're not launching pieces like every season and we don't really think in seasons kind of every piece we introduce we want to eventually see it evolve to a staple that people can wear multiple times a week for different purposes so as soon as we launch a product we're immediately whenever a customer wants to return or exchange we're asking for feedback on what they like what they don't like and every one of our most successful pieces are actually our number one seller is the something borrowed shirt which is kind of our take on the classic dress shirt it's a button-down shirt and it's gone through amy can probably say how many different fabrics it's been through already and multiple design changes we've made because it's kind of all about iterating and improving and finding something that's going to be like a hero piece that women can wear over and over again instead of just going with fads and seasons that being said how is your color palette how do you decide what type of colors you utilize for the fabric yeah so interestingly um yeah our color palette at the moment is very um we've got a lot of neutrals we've got a lot of navies we tend to always go for blacks because we we understand that like yes colors are great I personally as a designer like I love putting color into things um even though you can't tell in what I'm wearing (laughs) um but at the end of the day like colors bright colors go in and out of fashion and go in and out of season so we tend to stick with neutrals some we sometimes bridge into like greens because I mean we all love green I love Mm -hmm. green um because we feel like they can stretch throughout the seasons so Mm -hmm. we're constantly thinking like okay if we want to introduce a color in summer is someone going to want to wear this in winter as well or is somebody going to want to wear this in two years time when there's a new trend um so yeah color palette is a big thing we think about And I think a great example of that is the same Something Borrowed button-down shirt. When we first launched it, we introduced it in white cloud, which is a very light blue, um, and blush, like a very pale pink. But then as time has gone on, when it came to winter, we always have kept the white, which is the best selling of all the colors, and then um, introduced black. And as time goes on, we're basically always planned to keep the white and black in stock, but then do kind of like limited edition colors. Um, so midnight steel blue, we're going to be launching green later this year. Um, <laughs> your color. Yeah. The team loves color, but I think it's all about, again, building pieces that will match and you can mix with other things. I think it's the wardrobe of all fashion designers in the industry. <laughs> it's like just yeah. the basics, accessorize and make it a different, you know, pop, pop with their accessories and mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, uh-huh. what have been some of the like challenges as you're building the business in working with these intelligent fabrics and in making this collection and brand stand out? Anything that you've had trouble working through? Any problems with coloring and dyeing of some of these new fibers of getting the performance to the level you need it? Struggles in construction? I think, like Judy was saying with the Something Borrowed shirt, the initial fabric we used was beautiful the drape was fantastic and it looked when it was new it looked fantastic 
but after a couple of wears it started like the fabric didn't react well to the way it was constructed like the sewing technique because it was more because it was a shirt it had um kind of a traditional like structure along the front placket which meant the fabric kind of rippled over time and we got a lot of feedback from customers about this and we were like okay we hear you what can we do about this so we switched out the fabric so now we've got a thicker more sturdier fabric which um is actually being released hopefully in the next couple of weeks congratulations Um, uh so that's gonna replace all of the shirts um and it it's really great because now we've got this we're confident that this fabric is going to hold up and um we've kind of rectified that issue awesome and in terms of kind of the i'm very curious about your supply chain and we can get more into it later but just on a high level what does it look like where are you designing where are you producing as i understand obviously internationally i know part of your team is not you're not all in new york so how, how does it look operationally So our team is split between New York and London. So actually, the company was founded in London. Um, The whole original team was out of London. But really quickly after launch, uh, we just realized that most of our uh, customers were in the U.S., especially New York. So we moved to New York. Um, And then after like a year and a half of being here, a couple of the team members moved back to London. So now we have an office here in New York and also one in London. Um... And Amy is visiting from the London office for three months. But Millie, our head designer, is permanently in London. Um, So definitely, like, the team's basically split. And as far as factories, we work with two in California, um, one in Portugal, one in Italy, and for the first time, one in Hong Kong. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, launching that piece next week, actually. Mm. Well, I want to hear more about that in all the locations, but I understand you brought us a snack. What did you bring and why? So our office, this this is the story. This is my morning. Our <laughs> office is above this little weird shop that sells lots of weird things. And I wanted to get this snack that we've had a couple of times called the, what is it? Pocky. Pocky sticks, which <laughs> is like a little like stick with chocolate on it. But when I left the office this morning, it was closed. So I couldn't get them. So I found a different snack, which is also chocolate-based and looks yummy. So I'll get it. Um, It's like chocolate snacky things. You can't go wrong (laughs) with with that. Oh, delicious. Um, This was the closest thing to the parquet sticks I could find. (laughs) Sounds awesome. I totally missed the snack memo when Amy this morning was like, (laughs) I'm stopping to get a snack. And I was like, what? But then um, I just didn't notice the full memo in the calendar invite. And then I picked up a chai because that's like my favorite snack. We'll, we'll all sip not. your chai, and it'll be part of that. We need a little chai with our chocolate, and we're all set. Um, okay, let's dive into these snacks, and then I want to get more into the supply chain. Back with the team from A Day right after this. Welcome to 
hashtag moms got this. Get your mom life fix four days a week. I'm Michelle Park. And I'm Stacey Eagle. Together we chatted up with a new boss mom each week about her journey and why she's got this. Make sure to subscribe and show us some love on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And remember, mom's got this. (laughs) You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Okay, so right before we got to eat that delicious chocolate, which thank you, by the way, and sip your chai. No, not really. Um, We were talking about supply chain. And as I understand it, you said a part of it is in the U.S. and obviously is a part international and growing. Curious, especially with the U.S. piece, how and why you decided to choose those factories and why it was important to be there and what criteria you kind of look for when you pick it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a bunch of criteria and all of our factories capabilities are different in terms of what they're doing, um, what they can do technically for the clothing, but also what they're doing in terms of sustainability. I think obviously having a New York office and having a warehouse space in the U.S., one of the great things about working with U.S. factories is not having to worry about customs and duties. Um, But also one of the factories we work with We started working with them in 2016, so I actually had the opportunity to visit them before we start. And that's actually something super important to us is um, visiting and being able to meet the people who work there and seeing the work conditions. Um, Obviously, as a company focused on being conscious of those things, it's super important to us. Um, Yeah, I think... um a big thing to, for us is transparency with our factories and understanding um, what they're doing, where they're from. Like, um, So like Julie said, we try and visit our factories at least once a year, if not more. Millie, our designer, has been to our Portuguese factory, I think, twice this year. Um, and it's just to keep the relationship with the factories because we want to make sure that we're understanding each other and having this good relationship is always going to benefit us and therefore the customer. Um, what does it mean? I know you said obviously you've got the U.S. piece and now international and you've just added some more international locations. How and why do you start thinking about growing the international supply chain and adding more? Uh-huh. Um, so our Portuguese factory is um, one of our most high-tech factories and really focused on sustainability which is one of the reasons why we started working for them working with them um they were actually one of the original factories we worked with um meg and nina um like visited them because they really wanted to work with them so they were like they like just went over visiting them saying we want you to make our clothes um i think actually we were the first pre-launch company that that factory worked with yeah. wow yeah so meg and nina kind of just uh showed up at their door and uh, yeah. the rest like, is history. Yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> um, and in terms of the other international factories, our factory we've just started working with in Hong Kong, they're again, they're really, I mean, their construction is absolutely beautiful, really high quality. Um, and also, it's to do with um, so it's quality, ease of um, like transport. So, the f- fabric that we use at that factory is made in Taiwan. So, it's 
much better for the environment and in terms of like duties and costs to have a factory and a fabric mill close together. When it comes to Hong Kong, I mean, uh, their minimums are really, really high. How does um, you guys are online based? Mm-hmm. What are the other distribution? So the factory we work with in Hong Kong is quite a small factory. It's family run, which is also really important to us to make sure that they're um, they're ethical and all that sort of stuff. Um, so our minimums, I think, work well with them. Um, yeah. An interesting point you made, which we think about all the time in what we're doing, is where does the raw where do the raw materials sit? Where is it being produced? And then where do my customers tend to be? And how can we, in a holistic, sustainable way, try to keep things? Because you're right. Not only is it not sustainable, but it can be cost prohibitive if you're mm-hmm. shipping this massive yeah. volume of fabrics and exactly. trims and glues and that all over. And it just doesn't make sense. And now with what's going on in the current political social world, what's going to happen with customs and duties and taxes and international aspect, it's going to be massively impactful on all our businesses yeah. and how you start to think and position yourself for the future. Is that kind of a direction? And are there other things you guys are thinking about for the future of how to position the business operationally, where the customers are in your supply chain? Um, yeah, definitely with our supply chain, like we, we're always thinking about, okay, our fabric's made here. So which factory is does it make sense to work at? So like with our Taiwanese fabric mill, we're sending that fabric to our Hong Kong factory. So it's close and then our um, Italian fabric mills, we're, we're not going to ship them all the way across the world. We're going to keep them in um, in Europe um, or try to at least. Uh, in terms of the future, I think it's something that we're constantly thinking about, how we can improve our supply chain and how we can um, logistically improve stuff. Uh, I don't know, Julie, if you want to. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're so focused on quality and one of the things that comes with that is going to where the quality is. Um, so I think we love working who we currently work with and we'd want to keep that. But definitely as time goes on and as we grow as a company, we'll, I think we'll be able to do more things like use boats instead of planes to ship our stuff as mm-hmm. we work on um, getting our timelines down. That'll enable us to use uh, less carb, like make less of a carbon impact as we're shipping our stuff. Um, and that's definitely something that's important. Do you think that that has a lot to do with what you um, decided to to bring some things to the U.S., the carbon footprint of the logistics and traveling and, and transporting things to the stores? Because you are, you know, the biggest consumer is the U.S. Is, makes sense is that, to do does that more here in the U.S. as well as you're growing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, most of, our company, most of our customers are in the U.S. and especially New York. Um, so it's really helpful having our warehouse close in Boston. Um, we actually were currently hundred percent direct to consumer. So we sell only online. Um, we did have a couple pop-up stores last year, but this year we're really focused on online growth. So it's really just about getting everything to our one warehouse and then shipping straight to the customer. So your factories don't do drop ship like for you, like they wouldn't package it and send it. Or you kind of like like to control the quality and out take a look at what's going out yeah we always do an in-house quality control that's really super important to us um we always like to see like a bulk a small quantity of the bulk 
before. So if you're selling this online direct to consumer, obviously, and doing it so successfully, one challenge we always hear about is, you know, how do you convey the touch, the feel, the hand of this fabric, the story of it to this community in a digital landscape? Are you curious any tools or best practices that you guys use and how do you share this with your community so they are on board and a day, you know, champions? Yeah, I mean, I think number one thing is offering free shipping for returns. I think companies like Amazon have made it that that's really the expectation. Um, and if you're not offering that, I think it's it, as a customer, it would be challenging to want to order from a brand that you have to pay to have it shipped and returned. I think another piece that really helps us is that our pieces are all stretchy. Um, that really helps as far as our returns rate and it working for a variety of shapes and body sizes. Um, and as I understand it, you have a new collection coming out with some exciting new developments. Can you tell us about it and give us a sneak peek? Yeah, so um, this new collection is called Experiments in Conscious Design. Um, it's a tiny three-piece capsule collection. Um, re it was really like focusing on um, working out how to really optimize and improve our um, the way we design, how conscious, how consciously we're designing, how sustainably we're designing, and I mean, like any company our age, we're no way knit. Like we're we're still learning. We're still growing we're still um working towards the ultimate like sustainability even the biggest companies oh, in the world still are too exactly. so you're probably doing way better than even some of them we know <laughs> exactly so um the collection um started as this idea of like doing minimal cutting so taking inspiration from um very traditional techniques like ancient greek techniques um like kimonos and things like that um and then developing that and seeing how we can um, reduce fabric wastage and um, reduce like um, labor and things like that in within the um, manufacturing. But it was a big learning curve for us. So when we were doing like in-house sampling and stuff, it was all working out really well. And then um, kind of moving towards a bigger scale and production, we were learning that, okay, maybe in-house sampling and on a small scale this is working really well to like reduce wastage but then on a bigger scale it wasn't as um it wasn't what we were expecting so it was a big learning curve for us but we think it's really important for our customers to understand that this is a process for us as well as as well as customers learning about sustainability and things like that we're doing the same thing um so each like we were saying earlier each of our products has like a story behind it um and we're i mean we're really excited about it love to see your excitement when you started talking about the collection is there a particular <laughs> piece that really motivated you to i think my favorite piece is this jacket i'm wearing which um it's all one pattern piece um oh, which I think, I mean, it drapes really nicely. It's one of my favorite You get the pieces. kimono inspiration there totally, yeah. but, but there's still a little bit of a... Uh -huh. And this, this piece is one of, fabric-wise, this is one of my favorites because, so this is our recycled fabric. So it's 90% recycled polyester and 41 bottles went into making, like wasted um, wow. pla uh, plastic water bottles went into making this jacket. So each each jacket... 41 plastic bottles are saved from being put out into the 
see in the world and horrible stuff. That like was that. your excitement. Yeah, that was I your excitement. I'm like yeah, super excited about it. I tell <laughs> everyone this fact. And is that out of curiosity? Is that on the hang tag or in? Is that disclosed to the end customer? And does yeah. your community care? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big thing for our customers now, especially over the past year when we, we've been talking more about our sustainability um, and what we're doing to work towards the end goal. I think there's an element of expectation from our customers now. Yeah, um, and something we're doing alongside the launch of the three pieces in the collection is also launching our supply chain page. Um, so we're going to be sharing a lot more information about our factories and the fabrics we use and kind of the whole process from the fabric mill and design all the way to what customers can do at the end of it to recycle their pieces after they wear them. Um, so I think the collection is really the start of kind of the whole reason for the name Experiments in Conscious Design is that it really is a process and a learning uh, a learning experience. So we learn so much throughout the process about how we can do it better next time. And we really want to share all that information with our customers. But the jacket's actually the piece that we worked on with Reprieve. And we've been speaking to Reprieve's marketing team as well about how we can best share the number of bottles that each jacket saved and all of that. I think it's very interesting that the new generation right now is very conscious about what what goes into the fabric or what goes into any type of garment that they're wearing, where it's coming from and what is, you know, the the... The, the supply chain of, of, of everything. So I think you're doing an amazing job. Is there anything that you would do differently or add to in the future that you think that will be coming along the lines? Yeah, I mean, I think our ultimate goal that the team is so excited about is achieving a closed-loop production, ultimately. It's something that as we've delved further into, we've learned that the world honestly just isn't there yet. Um, lots of companies are working on it. Lots of people are thinking about it. But we're not at a state right now where you can give your worn clothing to a recycling company and then it gets remade into fabric that can be made into new pieces. But I think that's really we're working on it. It is coming. Star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've been do Julie and I especially have been working on this really closely on how to talking to lots of people about what recycling programs they're doing and it's definitely a thing that's growing and like there's lots of like things that are coming up which aren't quite there yet but they're so close and we're really excited to be like on this journey with all this industry and it's really exciting well i know it's stuff we had talked about too even before we started talking about getting you guys on air but like what are you doing with your current dead stock fabrics what opportunities for recycling and end of life in the future i know we're all looking at like blockchain and how can we know exactly what went into everything and then know what to do with it at end of life and where it goes and map and trace all that and it's going to be pretty powerful when it comes out so let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with Julie and Amy for some fun personal questions right after this. Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. 
This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. And now, it's Remnants. So before we get to personal questions, we just you started teasing us with something very interesting about how you have a new innovative concept for this new campaign coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about us? Yeah, sure. So uh, actually, both me and Amy were on the set of our last photo shoot, um, which was a really exciting one because we didn't only just shoot models in our new pieces, but we also shot some of some really awesome women who are doing amazing things in the whole sustainable uh, universe. So one of the women we shot, Britt Bergmeister, she is the founder of Off-Duty Model, On-Duty Citizen. And their whole goal is they actually launch some sustainable products of their own. So they have a water bottle and bamboo straws. Um, But all the models that they work with are doing something in the kind of conscious realm. Um, So really all the models aren't just models. They're also like true role models um, and kind of leveraging being a model to share and use that as a platform for their efforts. Um, We also... I don't know the other names. We went with Summer, Summer Rain Oaks. Oh, we know her. Um, so she's she was like our cat, like our main model. Um, I mean, everyone who knows who she is knows she's like a super environmental activist and all this amazing stuff. And she brought her ch- pet chicken to the shoot, which was so fun. Did the chicken make it in the shoot? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, well, Kippy, Kippy, right? Kippy yeah. the chicken. Well, I can't wait to see it. Congratulations <laughs> on the new launch coming out very soon. Thanks. We're excited. So if you both weren't working at A-Day, what would you be doing with your life and why? Where would you be? Anywhere in the world? Any particular different career? What did you always want to do? I mean, honestly, for me, A-Day is a dream job. Previously, I worked at Ernst & Young doing public accounting. So I studied accounting and supply chain at school And I studied for the CPA exams, became a CPA. Um, And as much as I enjoyed the whole corporate Ernst & Young auditing experience, I think I was looking for something that would be, would make me feel a little bit more connected to the goal of the company. Um, So I started looking for something more in the startup world. And I found A-Day. I think direct-to-consumer brands were particularly interesting to me because of my supply chain major at school. I just emailed uh, Nina because I'd seen them. I'd seen Megan Nina on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. So I just reached out to Nina. I was like, hey, looking to make a change. When can we chat? And then uh, a few months later, I was working at A-Day. Um, I think what I love about working at A-Day is I really get to combine. You know, I still 
the whole reason I went into accounting is I love numbers. Um, but I get to do that at 8A, but it's connected to a company doing something that I love and I get to wear the clothes and promote the company and feel like really genuinely good about working on something that I feel great about. Awesome. So if I wasn't working at A Day, hmm. at school, I was big into like drama and things. And it was always a toss up between drama and fashion for me. And then I decided before I went to university, I was like, okay, drama sounds like a hard industry to be in. So I went for fashion and it was definitely the best decision I've ever made. Um, so I started at university doing fashion design and then my university in Falmouth in Cornwall um, in the UK um, did a sportswear design course. So I switched from fashion to sportswear. Um, so I learned so much about fabric technology, about the practical uses of clothing, about how to make something not just beautiful, but also really functional. Um, and then I was introduced to A-Day through my tutor because Millie, who's our head designer, was also a student at Falmouth, um, but like three years above me. Um, and my tutor was like, you'd really get on with Millie. You'd love A-Day. And I was like, great. So I contacted Millie. And again, similarly to Julie, I contacted Millie, said, I love what you guys are doing. Um, can we chat? And then a few months later, I was working here. Um, so yeah, like Julie's saying, like this is it's such a great company to work for. It's such a amazing community. We're so, we're like a family, really. Like everyone gets on really well. We all have we're all very like minded, even within our different um, disciplines. Um, and it's just so great to know that I'm working for a company that is doing good as well as creating amazing clothing. Amy, that's interesting to say that because I think that either drama or fashion is still like very uh, sensitive um, industries and very to the, is there anything that you've done to the extreme to, to get something accomplished? Not necessarily to an at extreme. work. Hmm. Don't know. To be honest, I feel like reaching out to Billy was a big step for me because I was still at uni and I was, I was looking for jobs and, reaching out to someone directly and being like, I want a job with you, I think is quite, for me at the time, was quite a ballsy thing to do. Um, Bold but successful. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Anything for you that was a major challenge that you took a risk and won? Well, I think, Sorry. I think that job change yeah, it was a very big change. extreme from a corporate American to to uh, working to a small startup that's uh besides that not necessarily in the work wise is there anything a personal jump that you've done moving to a particular city or something to an extreme well something I'm considering doing that I haven't quite made the jump yet but when uh, Millie and Alexis on our team moved back to London and started our London office. Um, Megan Nina announced that anyone on the team who's been working at 8A for two years would be able to do a one-year rotation uh, in London. Ooh. And uh, my two-year anniversary is today, so that is now an opportunity for me. Um, so I'm really excited about that possibility. So we have where to stay when we go to London. I cannot <laughs> wait. Let's do it. I think we're the London team. So I 
am usually based in London, but I did it. I've been here for a couple of months. I'm going back on in June. Um, but I know the London team would be super excited if Julie came. We'd be like a team of four, <laughs> oh, <laughs> awesome. from three to four, which would be nice. We have a, we've got a bit of an imbalance between New York and London at the moment, but it would be nice to have more people. Any kind of, as you look back on your career, this conversation, personally, professionally, any final thought, message, kind of words of wisdom for our community that's resonated with you? I think just to really, not to sound so cheesy, but to really follow your heart. I think when I was at EY, I was always talking to people like, hey, I want to do something where I feel like really connected to the goal. And everyone would kind of like laugh and be like, oh yeah, you can do that. But like there are trade-offs. Um, but I think at ADA, I've really been able to find a great balance of doing something I love, something that really motivates me, but also being able to have like that work-life balance. Um, and I think it's just possible. You just need to keep looking. And I think it can be challenging because the reality is you can only have one full-time job at a time. And if you find something that's not the right fit for you all you know is this isn't for me but I don't know what is and I think what appealed to me originally about a day was because we're so small like there's only six or seven of us full-time you got the opportunity to see a lot um yeah so I would definitely recommend kind of taking that leap of faith I agree with Julie but also one thing one premise I've had since I came to New York was just saying yes to everything Within reason, obviously. <laughs> but like, it's been a bit of a internal like agreement with myself that I wouldn't say no to anything. Whilst Power I've been of here. New York And I think City it's a good life experience. It's a good thing that I'm now going to carry forward, I think. I believe in that, but I've gotten so overwhelmed lately that I kind of have to start saying no <laughs> to like this stuff. Maybe not today. <laughs> the power of yes. Well, thank you, Julie. Thank you, Amy, so thank much you. for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for having us. And how can our listeners connect with you and with A-Day? What's the best way to reach you? I think via email, because um, we're such a small team, all of our emails are just first name at thisisaday.com. So I'm Julie at thisisaday.com and Amy is Amy at thisisaday.com. Super easy. <laughs> And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thanks for listening. Back next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.